Welcome to the radio broadcast of Pineview Baptist Church, a growing community of faith in the Belfast community of Goldsboro. We are located at 3357 U.S. Highway 117 North in Goldsboro. We invite you to find out more about our congregation by visiting us at facebook.com forward slash Pineview Baptist Goldsboro. Join us now for our weekly message. Nahum chapter 1, and um, do something I don't normally do. Uh, I don't deal well typically with long passages of Scripture, but we're going to get through it today with the Lord's help. Let's begin reading in verse 1. It says, An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on His adversaries and keeps wrath for His enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and storm. And the clouds are the dust of His feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bastion and Carmel wither, the bloom of Lebanon withers, the mountains quake before him, the hills melt. The earth heaves before him, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in Him. But with an overflowing flood, He will make a complete end of His adversaries and will pursue His enemies into darkness. What do you plot against the Lord? He will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise up a second time, for they are like entangled thorns, Like drunkards as they drink, they are consumed like stubble, fully dried. From you came one who plotted evil against the Lord, a worthless counselor. Thus says the Lord, they are are at full strength and many. They will be cut down and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. And now I will break his yoke from off you and will burst apart your bonds." The Lord has given commandment about you. No more shall your name be perpetrated. From the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the metal image. I will make your grave, for you are vile. Behold upon the mountains the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Keep your feasts, O Judah. Fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. May God add a blessing to the reading of Scripture. Heavenly Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. In Christ's name, amen. Nahum wrote his prophecies during the reign of King Manasseh. And Manasseh, unlike his father, was not faithful to the word of the Lord. And so we can... Perhaps surmise from that that he had led the people away from faithful biblical worship, but we don't exactly know because nothing is specifically spoken 
against the people of Judah. It does say later on in chapter 1, God says to the people, I will break your affliction. I will break your bonds. And so if he's afflicting them, perhaps there is some national reason. We just don't exactly know. But we know that they're at a low point. We know that they're in a difficult situation because they are being brutally treated by their masters, the Assyrians. It was not uncommon for the Assyrians to behead their adversaries, to boil them in oil, and many other cruel forms of torture. And Judah Judah has little hope of escaping the Assyrian Empire and the grasp of their king. They were vastly inferior as a military power. And Assyria did much to discourage its vassal states from rebelling by punishing them in very extreme ways. But here's what we know as we read the very beginning of chapter 1. God is tired of it. His anger and His wrath has been kindled and He will allow it no more. In chapter 2, verse 13, He says, Behold, I am against you declares the Lord of hosts, and I will burn your chariots in smoke, and the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall no longer be heard. In chapter 3, verse 6, he spoke this, I will throw filth at you, and treat you with contempt, and make you a spectacle. He's sick of it. He no longer will allow His covenant people to continue to be mistreated and abused. Generations have gone and passed since Jonah had finally relented and gone to Nineveh to preach repentance to the Assyrians and to the Ninevites. And that genuine repentance that Jonah had experienced did not last through the generations. It did not carry over throughout the years. There's no call to repentance this time. God will bring judgment upon the Ninevites. Now I want to speak some words about God's wrath before we get into the meat and the outline of this text. And let's just be honest this morning. Most of us would rather hear about God's love and His grace and His mercy than to hear a sermon about the wrath of God. I know I'd rather preach about God's grace than about God's wrath. It's difficult to comprehend. And so in some ways, it's an easy doctrine to skip over and to move past. I've known Christians that they feel like they need to apologize for sections of Scripture like this. We don't want to hear about an angry God, a jealous God, a vengeful and wrathful God. And so they will make excuses for that God because they think it blemishes His character. It's inconsistent with His love. The Bible says more says in more than one place that God is also slow to anger and that He's abounding in steadfast love. It says that in Nehemiah. It says that in the book of Psalms. And here's what we do know. God never loses His temper. His anger is not a sinful anger the way that ours oftentimes is. God's wrath is a natural response to unrighteousness and to sin And in this particular story, God's wrath is a response to His love for His own people. Remember last week that I said that God's love and compassion always interprets His wrath. And so we need both sides of the coin. And we need to have an understanding 
as Christians of both sides of the coin. Here are some quick exegetical details for you. The destruction in Nineveh that is pronounced here, it is pronounced with great force. As I just mentioned, they weren't given a call to repentance. There was no opportunity for them to correct what they had done wrong. God is revealed in this text as a merciful and a gracious God who is slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love, but He will by no means, it says in verse 7, clear the guilty. Nineveh may feel safe, they may feel secure because they are a mighty power during this day and age. But Nahum makes it clear that no one can thwart the power of God in His judgment. No one can endure His fierce anger. No one can stand against His wrath. And thus Judah is instructed to take to heart this good news for them. And he tells them to keep their covenants, to keep their appointed feasts, knowing that their enemy is going to be trampled underfoot. Here's the big idea today that we want to uncover as we get into our outline. Judgment is inevitable when you rebel against the one true God. Judgment is inevitable when you rebel against the one true God. And so what we're talking about today is God's character. And in verse 1, God cites in His rifle, so to speak, He says an oracle concerning Nineveh. We know clearly who this word is addressed to. And what we see in the following verses is three characteristics, three truths about the character of God. So let's jump in this morning. As I like to remind you, the uh, new version app has our full outline today, much more detailed than what you'll see on the screen. And so I encourage you to follow along there as well. But the first point that we see is that the jealous God speaks. The jealous God speaks. And it tells us in our text that He is an avenging and a wrathful God. He is passionate about executing vengeance. Notice verse 2. The Lord is jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on His adversaries and keeps wrath for His enemies. I don't know if you picked up on it, but I think there's something there that Nahum wants us to know. God is love, yes. God is grace and He is mercy. But Nahum says it over and again. He's jealous. He's avenging. He's avenging. He's wrathful. He's vengeance itself. He's an avenging and wrathful God. And it is the very character of God that we see there that forms the key for what follows. Now I want us to take very close note of the fact that it says He's a jealous God. That attribute is often used to refer to His burning zeal for His covenant people. His burning zeal for His own wife, Israel. And it emphasizes His rejection of anyone who would commit spiritual adultery. He's zealous to defend and protect and honor the covenant with His people. He's avenging and He's wrathful. But in verse 3 it tells us that He's patient, powerful, and punishing. Patient, powerful, and punishing. Look at verse 3. It starts by saying He's slow to anger. I don't know about you, but I am tremendously thankful for the patience of God that I do not deserve. In His grace and in His mercy, He chooses to be patient with us. 
Because we are sinners. We do deserve His wrath and His great power. But God's patience towards Assyria was reflected over a hundred years earlier in the ministry of Jonah. Jonah had reluctantly agreed finally after trying to run multiple times. He finally relented and he went to Nineveh and he preached this impending divine judgment that was going to fall upon them if they did not repent and turn to God. And what happened? They did. They turned to God. They repented of their sins and they saw the grace and the mercy of God in that. But his patience eventually runs out. And He will judge the wicked. But part of the good news that we need to cling to today is that God is slow to execute divine judgment against sinners in order that they may have an opportunity to repent. He's patient, thanks be to God, but He's also powerful. Verse 3 says He's great in power. Let no one mistake the patience of God for weakness. Our God is not weak, but He is strong, He is mighty, He is powerful, and He's also punishing. It continues, the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. He will not just simply pass over a guilty person and leave him unpunished. He will eventually bring the unrighteous to judgment. We see in verses 3-6 through some pictures of God's wrath. Nahum uses some examples from nature to uh, give us an idea in our mind what the wrath of God looks like. The latter part of verse 3, he says, His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of His feet. Here's MacArthur commenting on that verse. He says that nature is the theater in which His power and majesty is showcased. Amen. It says in verse 4, He rebukes the sea. And makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. A simple word from Yahweh can cause the sea as well as the rivers to dry up completely. And Nahum is likely reminding the people of what the Lord had demonstrated when He parted the Red Sea. And when He stopped the Jordan River from flowing. And those stories occur in Exodus 14 and Joshua 3. Verse 5, the mountains quake before Him, the hills melt, the earth heaves before Him, and the world and all who dwell in it. What seems stable, Nahum says, will eventually tremble. It will fall before the Lord Almighty. The Assyrian Empire has been put on notice because they were not too much for Him to topple and overthrow. In verse 6, we see a rhetorical question. The writer is assuming that the answer is already known to the reader. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. No one can continually exist if Yahweh is indignant towards him. No one can survive his wrath unchecked. The Hebrew word that's used here for indignation means to be enraged like boiling water. And no one can endure God's burning anger. And so all this makes clear that God is a powerful and a jealous God. 
And while he is slow to anger, he will not always tolerate wickedness and injustice. The righteous God, the jealous God has spoken. But as we move on, we see that the sovereign God defends. The sovereign God defends. Two things that I see here. Firstly, security for God's people. Verse 7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in Him. He is good, saints, like a father to his children. He's a stronghold, Nahum says. He powerfully protects His people. It says He knows those who take refuge in Him. Like that shepherd image that we see all throughout the Scripture. That one shepherd who is lovingly tending to the sheep. Romans 11 and 22 comes to mind. Paul wrote, note the kindness, the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you. Provided you continue in His kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. Here's another note from MacArthur. He says, God's attributes work in harmony. There's no conflict between His goodness and love. Hear that again. There is no conflict between His goodness and love and His justice and His wrath. He says, those who accept His gracious offer of salvation experience His goodness, but those who reject it experience severity. So we see Security for the people of God. Now that doesn't mean, again, we, we deny what the prosperity heretics preach. This doesn't mean a life of ease. It doesn't mean that we're never going to go through. He wants His people to suffer at times. He wants His people to experience trial and difficulty. And He promises He will be with us through it. But His secure hand, His sovereign hand is protecting His own people through life and through death. But in verse 8, we see wrath for God's enemies. It says, but with an overflowing flood, He will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue His enemies into darkness. Tom Constable says that Nahum was probably describing an unrestrained army invasion. Remarkably, when her enemies overthrew Nineveh, its rivers overflowed and washed away part of Nineveh's walls. A parallel, literal fulfillment of this prophecy. Amen. In verse 9, Nahum elaborates, What do you plot against the Lord? He will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise up a second time. The previous section assures Nineveh's doom. The primary focus of attention in it was the character of Yahweh and His ability to destroy His enemies, His adversaries. But now the focus shifts more directly to Nineveh and to the king of the Assyrians. Their plan to oppose God's people was actually opposition against God Himself. And He would not permit it to succeed against His covenant people. And true to the prophecy, once Nineveh failed, it was never rebuilt. It still lies in ruins today. God is true to His Word. He's a jealous God who speaks. He's a sovereign God who defends. In His sovereignty, He protects His own. But here's our third and final point. The righteous God judges. 
the righteous God judges. God pronounces His judgment on Nineveh and it's not pretty. Read with me verse 10. He says, For they are like entangled thorns, like drunkards as they drink. They are consumed like stubble, fully dried. Verse 11, For you came from you came one who plotted evil against the Lord, a worthless counselor, he says. So what we see here in verse 10 and 11 is that God condemns a worthless nation, a worthless king, a worthless people. Let's break it down. He calls them worthless thorns. He says they are like entangled thorns. A briar bed. Maybe you ever gotten caught up in one of those if you were traipsing through the woods, maybe hunting or just going on a journey and you get caught up in a thicket of entangled thorns. Those things are tough to penetrate. They're tough to to untangle. You can't do it without stabbing yourself over and again. But they are no match for fire. And God says He will burn them up. The worthless entangled thorns. He says they're worthless drunks. Like that one on the street corner that lives for the bottle and accomplishes no good with his life. Or that one who spends all of their resources, their energy, and their efforts just simply partying through life. Never accomplishing anything. Never doing anything with their hands. Worthless drunks. And then he calls them worthless stubble. And he lets them know that Yahweh would destroy them as easily and as quickly as fire would burn up the dead stalks that are left in the field after the harvest. God condemns these worthless people, but He also condemns their worthless counselor in verse 11. From you came one who plotted evil against the Lord, a worthless counselor. Most commentaries agree that this is probably a reference to Sennacherib who was king over Assyria for a long time. And he was wicked. And he opposed Yahweh. I want to read this to you from Eric Redmond's commentary. He says, The prophetic accusation of plotting against the Lord is powerful. Whatever imperial ambitions the Assyrians had for Judah, they were actually plotting against God, not merely against His people. The Assyrians may not have viewed themselves as plotting against the Lord, but that is in fact what their subjugation of the people of God amounted to. Psalm 2 asks the question, Why do the nations rebel and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and His anointed one. The kings of this world will never succeed against the Lord and His people, he writes. Even though Judah is small compared to the Neo-Assyrian Empire, God's protection of Judah, His people, will prevail over the superpower from Nineveh. And then he adds this, anyone who opposes God's people, opposes God Himself, the Lord will defend His people from the attacks of those who oppose Him. Amen and amen. Verse 12, the first part says, Thus says the Lord, Though they are at full strength and many, they will be cut down and pass away. God makes it very clear here that He has condemned this nation and their king. Now we see in verse 12, the latter part, a reversal of the affliction that has been placed on the people of Judah. Though I have afflicted you, 
I will afflict you no more. Praise God, saints. There is an end to the disciplines of the Lord. He will not always rebuke His people. He will not always correct and afflict His people. But there are times where He does. There are times where He must. But after He has disciplined His people. Deuteronomy 32 and 36 says the Lord will vindicate His people. He will have compassion on His servants. When He sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining bond or free. It's almost as if He wants His people to reach a place where they are rock bottom and they have nowhere to look but to Him. It's almost as if, and boy have I experienced this in my own life, that He wants us saints to be absolutely broken before Him. Where He is our only hope in life and in death. Praise God though. There is an end to the disciplines of the Lord. And that He raises up His people out of the ashes, out of the dirt. He sets our feet on a solid path. What is the result? Complete deliverance we see in verses 13 down through verse 15. And so we reach a conclusion here, and here's what we learn. God will make a complete end of the wickedness and the injustice in Nineveh. This is a divine decree. Nahum said, the Lord has given the commandment about you. These are words from God Himself, speaking directly there to the king of Assyria. He promises to strip away any legacy from Nineveh and from the king. He says, no more shall your name be perpetrated. Perpetu- Excuse me, I can't talk today. Perpetrated. He promises to smash all false idols. It says, from the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the metal image. And he proclaims in this divine decree that the destiny of Nineveh, the destiny of the king of Assyria is death. He said, I will make your grave because you are vile. God despises their depravity. He despises their wickedness and their sin and their injustice committed against His people. There's something important that we need to see here. God not only holds nations accountable for their deeds, but He holds leaders accountable. God has given an order. The end has come for the Assyrian monarchy. The decree is irreversible. Surely it will come to pass. And we have the benefit of looking back and we know that it did come to pass. And that that nation, just as God promised, was never rebuilt. Their cities were never reclaimed. And I would add, and I know nobody will hear me because I'm just a little peon in Goldsboro, North Carolina. But I would add, Washington, D.C., take note. Because God hates your wickedness and your injustice. So as we close, I remind you, what is the character of our great God? He is a jealous God who speaks. He is zealous for His people. If you are in covenant with Him and He is in covenant with you, you are His, He is yours, He loves His own, He will defend and protect as the sovereign God. And He is the righteous God who judges.
If you would like more information about Pineview Baptist Church, we invite you to follow us on social media. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Pineview Baptist Goldsboro. There you will find information about our service times, upcoming events, directions to our church, and videos of our Sunday services.